98K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Bill Robertson. The top story is the Health Secretary warns that patients who lie about their travel or medical history could be fined or jailed. The government says 49 travellers from Hubei have been identified and traced, and the hospital authority says services will be prioritised if medical workers go ahead with a strike over border closures. Health Secretary Sophia Chan has revealed that her bureau is working with the Justice Department to slap penalties on patients who lie about their travel and medical history. Speaking after a radio programme, Professor Chan again appealed to everyone to be honest about their records as the city tries to prevent a community outbreak of the deadly Wuhan virus. She said the government is also studying how to use an existing piece of legislation that could result in fines or jail time for those who lie about their records. In order to prevent the uh, infectious disease and also prevent the spread of the infectious disease, uh, there is a, a legal framework provided uh, that people must give honest information to our health officers. If they do not do so, then they will be uh, penalized, either $5,000 uh, penalty or uh, six months uh, imprisonment. The government has identified at least 49 travellers from Hubei province, the epicentre of the Wuhan virus, after scouring some 500 hotels. Health Minister Sophia Chan says some of them have already left Hong Kong, while others have been put in quarantine. Some of them, their visa might be uh, expiring very soon, so they will leave Hong Kong, and some of them may choose to leave Hong Kong immediately. The reason why our Department of Health colleagues is uh, having joint operation with the immigration colleagues is that they will, first of all, check their health status, and also when they find them, they will ensure that they have no symptoms and then put them to the uh, quarantine camp. So uh, health assessment will be done. She also choked back tears when expressing her concerns over the state of mind of medical staff and public hospital services during an RTHK programme, where she was asked about a plan by thousands of doctors and nurses to strike over the call for a full border closure. The hospital authority says it's come up with a contingency plan that will see some outpatient and other non-urgent services cut if some of its staff go ahead with a strike. More than 6,000 healthcare workers many of them public hospital doctors and nurses, are threatening to strike in an attempt to force the government to seal Hong Kong's border with the mainland. Hospital Authority Chief Executive Tony Koh says he's worried about the situation. I don't know exactly what will happen uh, on the day that the union said they will have the strike. Uh, but on the whole, uh, the principles will be the more, the less urgent service, like uh, outpatient clinics, uh, or outpatients, or physiotherapists, these are some of the things we have in mind that we need to reduce so that we can concentrate the manpower to deal with the emergencies that will come into the hospital every day, to deal with patients who are suspected to have pneumonia, fever, have travel histories. All these are our prime concern that we must be able to maintain the service for the people of Hong Kong. The chairman of the hospital authority says he will hold a meeting tomorrow with medical workers to try to persuade them not to strike. Henry Fan also apologised to patients in advance for any potential service disruptions. Speaking to journalists after a radio programme, Mr Fan revealed that his chief executive, Tony Coe, had already put forward the demand by staff for a full border closure on more than one occasion. I would leave it to the political wisdom of the Hong Kong government to decide what steps to take and at what time. But in terms of the general principle, as I have said in my blog, I am all in favour of reducing traffic as much as possible between mainland and Hong Kong so that the people of Hong Kong 
Meanwhile, the Centre for Health Protection says another person has tested positive for the Wuhan virus in Hong Kong, taking the number of confirmed cases here to 13. Robert Kemp reports. The patient is a 39-year-old man with an underlying illness who lives in Wampoa Garden. He began having muscle pain last Wednesday and went down with a fever on Friday. He sought treatment at Queen Elizabeth Hospital and is now in isolation there. He's in a stable condition. The man took the high-speed train from Hong Kong to Wuhan on January the 21st and from Changshanan to Hong Kong two days later. CHP said he hadn't visited any healthcare facilities, wet markets or seafood markets, nor had any exposure to wild animals during the incubation period. His mother, wife, daughter, son and domestic helper don't have any symptoms, but will be sent into quarantine. Mainland authorities say 46 more people have died from the disease, taking the death toll to 259. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past one. The United States has announced that foreign citizens who have been in China in the past 14 days will be barred from entering the US to control the spread of the Wuhan virus. Announcing a public health emergency, the U.S. Health Secretary, Alex Azar, said all U.S. citizens returning from Hubei province would be quarantined for two weeks. Mr. Azar said the risk of infection for Americans is low. These prudent, targeted and temporary actions will decrease the pressure on public health officials screening incoming travelers, expedite the processing of U.S. citizens and permanent residents returning from China, and ensure resources are focused on the health and safety of the American people. Britain has officially left the European Union after 47 years of membership. It triggered celebrations by Brexit supporters around the UK, with many people waving union flags and singing the national anthem. The BBC's Nick Erdley was in Westminster. As clocks around the UK struck 11, a moment of history was marked in different ways. Outside Parliament, thousands of Brexit supporters were jubilant. In other places, pro-EU rallies were held in a moment of mourning. And in Downing Street, while senior ministers celebrated inside, a light show of Parliament was beamed onto the bricks of number 10 and a recording of Big Ben played. There are still questions over what our long-term future relationship with Europe will look like. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson issued a message describing it as an astonishing moment of hope that many people thought would never come. In Scotland, a large crowd of demonstrators gathered in Edinburgh at the moment of Brexit, chanting for Scottish independence from the UK. Nearly two-thirds of the Scottish electorate voted in 2016 to remain in the EU, and Brexit has fuelled demands for another independence referendum. Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, described the UK's departure as a profound moment of sadness tinged with anger. Earlier, British flags were removed from outside European Union institutions. The president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, said it was an emotional day. It is the story of old friends and new beginnings now. It is the decision of the British people, the majority of the British people, and this has to be respected. And something happened during these three and a half years in the Brexit period um, with the European Union that was positive because the unity was strengthened of the European Union and Brexit doesn't solve any of the global challenges. I think it's better to work together. U.S. senators have voted against calling witnesses at Donald Trump's impeachment trial, a move which brings the end of the process much closer. This report from the BBC's Chris Buckler. The Democrats only managed to persuade two Republicans to vote with them. 
they needed double that number to hear testimony as part of the trial. The minority leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, called that decision a grand tragedy, but it brings the end of this impeachment trial within sight. It is now expected that a final vote will be held by the middle of next week, and it's inevitable that Donald Trump will be acquitted of the two charges he's facing, that he abused the power of his office and tried to obstruct Congress. The White House has reversed restrictions on the use of anti-personnel landmines brought in under Barack Obama. The Defence Secretary, Mark Esper, said the devices were needed by commanders on the battlefield. Landmines uh, are an important tool that our forces need to have available to them in, in order to ensure mission success and in order to reduce uh, risk to forces. That said, in everything we do, we also want to make sure that these instruments, in this case landmines, uh, also take into account both uh, the safety of employment and the safety to civilians and others after a conflict. Football supporters in Chile have forced the suspension of a top division match as part of ongoing protests against the government and the police. BBC's Leonardo Rocha has the story. A group of supporters of the local club Coquimbo Unido invaded a pitch in the 17th minute of their match against Audax Italiano. They destroyed television cameras and displayed a banner that read, Blood on the streets, no football on the pitch. Chilean supporters had called for the suspension of the season after a football fan was run over by a police truck outside the stadium in Santiago on Tuesday. Chile's National Police Force have once again been accused of using excessive force against ordinary citizens. Dozens of people have been killed and injured since the anti-inequality protests began in October. And to end the news, the top stories once again. The Health Secretary warns that patients who lie about their travel or medical history could be fined or jailed. And the government says 49 travellers from Hubei have been identified and traced. That's the news from RTHK. Radio 3. And welcome to this week's edition of World Vibes with myself, Pierre Roblet, with you till 3 p.m. This week we have two musical themes of interest. First, our featured debut album from Montreal-based pop rock band La Fauve. And a selection of hot new hits from other places on the planet. As always, Giovanotti says it so well in Italian, we're still the belly button of the world. And we start off with our first song from elsewhere with the band Saudage. They're a quintet from the Reunion Island in the Indian Ocean. And they've just released a new album, and uh, this track is on the charts. It's in Creole. In fact, they describe their Maloya brand of music as uh, nomadic Creole Maloya, with uh, influences and fusions with uh, Southern, West Africa, and European influences. The five are fronted by Jonathan Itema and Marie Lanfroy. Marie Lanfroy is the lead singer. Jonathan Itema picks up uh, background vocals, the traditional instruments from Reunion Island, like the sati, picaire, tarlon, cancani. Uh, and on the triangles are Melanie Bourrier and Frédéric Cipriano. And on the dum-dum and Assamese doll, Anthony Seri. They combine a set of hypnotic trance with uh, acoustic fusion and hybridations. 
So let's have a listen to the quintet from Reunion Island, Saudage, and the track in Creole, Somme à l'amour. Frisson et mon désir 